Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. And welcome to another episode of Bleacher Blums on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Jeff Blum. I am a 14-year Major League veteran. And now I am current broadcaster for the Houston Astros, and it's been a good week for me. On the other side, out there on the left coast, is going to be our co-host, David Tuttle, who played, who's an All-American. He's just an All-American all the way around. He's the All-American dad that you never knew about and you're learning about now. Uh, Pitched at Santa Clara University and also pitched for Team USA back in the day. David Tuttle, what's going on with you, brother? Nothing, man. This is my favorite time of the week, as I told you. This is always uh, exciting, and um, uh, it's good to be with you. The Giants are playing well. You mentioned earlier the Astros are playing well. Baseball season's in full swing. We tend not to talk a lot about the NBA, but I've been watching a little bit of the NBA playoffs. And then um, I traveled maybe, let's see, I'm going to date myself here, 2004. I was in Europe, and I got to see the Euro Cup. Oh, wow. So I am a closet soccer fan, but the Euro Cup starts today. I believe with like Italy versus Turkey and who knew that Turkey was in Europe. I didn't know that, but uh, I think they get some other teams in there, but like, yeah, you're not going to learn about geography on bleacher blums. Yeah. That's no, you're not, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, man. It's going to be an exciting, uh, an exciting week for sports, but of course, uh, uh, another exciting hour with the, uh, with the co-hosts of the Bleacher Blums podcast on the Blue Wire Network. So we're super happy to be here, Blummer, and uh, all is well, man. We, 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 I always joke about being an old guy talking about the weather, but, you know, <laughs> this, uh, this left coast weather is pretty damn good. So. Yeah, no, it's been good. And it's actually been good out here in Houston, too, where I am at. And uh, the, the rain has finally subsided. We've got summer in full swing. So that means a lot of humidity, a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, but uh, it's it's easy to work up a lather out here in Houston. And I actually have have become a little more accustomed to it. I don't mind it so much. Uh, the thing I'm, I'm finding out is that the dog that I take, we have two dogs. I have a uh, Beagle Cocker Spaniel mix that is 10, 10 years old, I think. And so she's a little more, you know, of a couch potato, a little more snuggly. And then uh, we have a year and a half old Catahoula leopard dog that is just high strung, high energy. And we usually, yeah, we usually, it's native to Louisiana. So it fits that we have her down in here in Houston, but she's a great dog. And, uh, but we usually take her for walks on a daily basis just to burn the energy but I'm finding that uh, she doesn't like the humidity. <laughs> she doesn't like the heat. So we can't take her on the usual two, two mile walk that we usually go on. So I usually take her on a little mile walk, take her back and she passes out and takes a nap on the uh, tile floor in the house, cooling off while I head back out and try and burn some more of these old man calories to try and keep my gut thin so I can have me plenty of St. Arnold brews when I want. But uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. It has been a good week. You know what I love about, we'll talk about this a little bit later in the broadcast about uh, about broadcasters traveling maybe. But the one thing that is nice about having to be here in studio is that when the team does go to the East Coast, the games start an hour earlier. So I get home an hour earlier and I actually get some sleep in the middle of the night. It's nice. Yeah, but you complain sort of air quotes complain that when on the West Coast, like in Oakland, I think they started the season in Oakland. Those those nights get really late for just not traveling. And sometimes as oh you mentioned, gosh. you travel it's so much easier to be in the time zone that you're playing in, uh, you know, so much easier to adjust. I wanted to say one thing about the Houston weather is uh, 
we watched the women's soccer game last night. Uh, USA played uh, Portugal there in Houston mm-hmm. at the where the Dynamo play, and uh, it does not look like ideal weather. They were saying, "Hey, they're trying to get them <laughs> ready for the summer in Japan." I guess you know when they get out to the Olympics, and it was it's like true. they had a lather five minutes into that game. But to your point, I mean, that's what Houston summers are. They're just a little more humid than the uh, SoCal guys are used to. Uh, NorCal guys too. It's like I said, one of my favorite times of the week is to be with you and it's good to review all the yeah. topics du jour and uh, let's see what's what's going on. Yeah, what is going on? And we're here. you can find uh, Tuttle and I on Twitter and you guys know that because we got a ton of votes on our Twitter poll asking our fans. Uh, you can reach myself at Blummer27 on both uh, Twitter and Instagram and you can do the same thing for Tuttle on Twitter and Instagram. If you go to at real David Tuttle and we put out a, a Twitter poll and asked what topics you wanted to hear about. And we got uh, plenty of votes in and everybody wants to hear about the substance abuse in baseball. And I don't mean the off the field type substances. These are on field substances, much like pine tar, sunscreen, rosin, or a special mix of uh, substances to make that uh, make that to tack a little bit better so that they can throw their pitches and coming in a distant second play was uh, broadcasters and travel. So we'll touch on those two subjects for sure. But it's just kind of funny to me. And if you've been listening to the Bleacher Blums podcast, Tuttle and I have done a very good job of staying in front of some of these topics. And it's just kind of funny to me to see Well, let's just go ahead and get it out of the way now. Major League Baseball is slow as hell getting to some of these issues, whether it be steroids, whether it be sign stealing, whether it be replay review, whether it be substances that pitchers are using. They are constantly slow on the uptake. I don't know why. I don't know how, but they are. And if the Bleacher Blums was the commissioner of baseball... We would have had these issues taken care of months ago, years ago, and let these guys play a little bit. But instead, Major League Baseball loves the drama. They love the hype. They love that players are yelling at each other. And the reason for that is the CBA is coming up at the end of the season. So the more that the players are yelling at each other, the more division there is when they try to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement. But that aside... You and I have been at the forefront of substance abuse, and we are going to talk about it. I just want to know what your thoughts are in the last week from what you've been reading, from what you've been seeing. There's been more player interviews. Uh, Just give me an idea where you're at on the substances and what's going on in baseball, Tuttle. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, our arms will get tired or, or, you know, arms will get tired for patting ourselves on the back. No, Never. Maybe not. No, we're, <laughs> my arm used to get more tired from throwing. So yeah, no, patting myself on the back. I, I got the plenty of stamina for that. But I, I do agree. We're kind of ahead of the curve. And it's funny when you just brought that up, another thing jumped into my head, which is like the NFL. I remember when they were talking about replay review in the NFL. And it was like, yeah, we need replay review. Uh, you know, when Des Bryant, it was mainly that off season where I think that just pushed it over the, you know, kind of. Oh my gosh, the, the catch. The catch, but, or the not catch. But, but the point is, is that, the thing is, when that happened, the next year there was replay review. I mean, it was like, it was instantaneous. Yeah. I mean, they realized what an important issue this was with baseball. Like you said, they're just slow on the uptake. And now great example. Now we have whatever steroids, they were slow. And now they're slow on the uptake. And now the debate um, with the commissioner's office and what you're hearing, the scuttlebutt is, are they going to police this now during the season now? Or are they going to wait till next season? It's like, no, just do what you're going to do and do it now. My First impression, my only impression, we were ahead of the curve talking about this early, is I I wish I didn't sound like a broken record, but 
I mean, this should be a non-issue. This is really overblown. And now it's just going to be something, as you said, I didn't used to be a conspiracy theorist until the Mariners president spoke at the Rotary Club. And he specifically stated <laughs> after a couple of pops that um, that they kept their prospect down, you know, and we know that about the super twos and the twos, like they'll wait till April or May to call these guys up or June. Oh, yeah. I mean, you knew that that was a business decision, but when somebody verbalizes it, you're like, oh, and so now that you say, oh yeah, the collective bargaining agreement's coming up, that's going to be the thing. Like having the pitchers like Josh Donaldson and, you know, Garrett Cole talk about, you know, hey, this, you know, and just yep. pitting them against each other is certainly something that's plausible and probably um, likely that's going on behind the scenes. Like, hey, we can get these guys in an uproar and then they'll be a little contentious when, you know, they come to the table because they're going to have some dissension on their side. But, uh, you know, I think this is just an overblown issue. That's the bottom line. It's just overblown. And I can get into the specific as we go. Yeah, no, it, it has become an overblown issue. I think that if they did initially just say, look, we're going to crack down on this and just go for it and do it. They, I don't think anybody would ever... I don't think anybody would have been too upset. You know that uh, the interesting thing, and if you want to get a little more conspiratorial, I can't believe I actually got that word out of my mouth, but uh, how about the fact that we've even gone back to 2019 on this podcast, talking about what major league baseball did to the baseball. They've been altering the baseball since 2019 when they had a, they got together and formed a group that went out and bought, you know, majority rule of Rawlings baseballs and they've been manipulating the baseball. Yeah. You know, the seams are lower. The ball is more centered. So it's you have to be a little bit better at spinning it. Uh, you can't get a grip because the seams aren't as high as they used to be. So you need the sticky stuff to go out there. The fact that they do these things and don't anticipate players adapting is what blows my mind. Yeah. Because in the steroid era, they let steroids go because of the strike. They wanted to bring the popularity of baseball back. And they rode uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire uh, as long as they could to get popularity back until every, everybody went, oh, oh, steroids are bad. And then all of a sudden, they opened up replay review and put instant replay, instant live video in a dugout and in a clubhouse accessible to players and went, oh, no, the, I didn't know these guys were going to use it to steal signs. What a bunch of idiots, man. Yeah. Players are players in any sport are going to use these things to their advantage. Yeah. Then you doctor the baseball and change it a little bit. And guess what? Hitters are hitting home runs. They're getting paid more. Pitchers use sticky substances. Substances pitch better and get paid more. And all of a sudden they're going, oh, damn, dude, this totally backfired. Now what do we do? That's what it feels like we're at. They keep altering the game and they just are shocked that players are going to adapt to the environment. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We talked about the uh, increase in no hitters. And I mean, we can talk <laughs> about like, oh yeah, well there's substances, there's this, but we talked about this, you know, again, you went back to 2019 when we certainly talked about uh, Major League Baseball buying Rawlings. It's still something we're not talking about at all. Yeah. And they seem to change the balls every year. I remember, I remember going from college to professional baseball. Oh yeah. And in college we had those diamond balls and I had a really good slider. Oh. I was like, man, you could, you could hang your finger on that seam and be like, all right, I can really get this ball to move. You get to pro ball. It's a little bit different. It's a smaller baseball. The seams are, you know, and you try and get your fingernail in there to get the seams. Now they throw out those balls so quickly. But I mean, you know, this is so funny. Um, I watched, um, oh gosh, who is the Blue Jays slugger, uh, all-star left-handed hitter, uh, Puerto Rico. I played with uh, Carlos Delgado. Carlos Delgado. He would get bats sent into our dugout or into our locker room. And he would just like, you'd take the bats out with your eyes shut. And he would be like, you know, he'd go through his, you know, yeah. six, six bats. He knew which three he liked. 
Um, and then I, I could do the same still with a baseball. And I know you can as an infielder picking up that ball. You know exactly oh, yeah. what it feels like with your eyes shut. I mean, it, it gives me a lot of hope for like, you know, blind people in Braille, like reading Braille. I felt like that with baseball, like baseballs and bats. This was our profession. So you know exactly how you want that ball to feel. You know where your hand sits on that ball. I mean, it is. It's like a it's like a whoobie, right? It's like a little blanket you got to sleep with. Um, but I no, bring it, that it'll up change your mood <laughs> completely. <that's right. laughs> it com- completely changes your mood. But I, I will say that we're, again, the overblown issue is that if the ball is moving in an unorthodox or um, unexpected way. That is cheating. That's the where you put a goop. I've said this. I mean, this is what I meant about the broken record. Then the ball you just or it. it doesn't dive or spin. That's fine. But to have a, a ball with no seams that Major League Baseball bought from Rawlings and they juiced up to have it rotate the way you want it to. And we're, I know we keep talking about spin rate, but you know, as a hitter, I mean, you're defending this as well from a hitter's perspective. So people yeah. should take that with a grain of salt as well. They should know that you're a hitter and you're not standing on a, you know, on a soapbox saying this is, you know, blasphemous and they're completely cheating because as you know, that slider has that little tight dot on it. You just want to see the spin. You don't care what the spin rate is. You want to know what that pitch is so you can dive in or you can, Oh, I see a ball tumbling. It's when the ball, that's why knuckleballers are so hard to hit. It's when the ball moves (laughs) in a way that it's not supposed to move. You can't anticipate. That's cheating. Right. And you can get, you know, not just injured, but you can also look foolish and hitters will use that to their advantage. But that goes back to the Gaylord Perry of the, you know, and the Phil Necros where they had (laughs) sandpaper and they had stuff falling out of their pocket. We're not the equivalency. And, you know, you hate to throw the media guys never played the game out, but the equivalency that we're putting towards sandpaper and like goops of pine tar to having a little better grip, like a rosin sun sunscreen combination is it's, it's not fair and it's not the same thing. It's just not. No. And you, and you nailed it too, with the, the idea of when the ball doesn't move the way it's supposed to, that's what triggers the idea that there is something going on with the baseball and what the pitchers are doing to the baseball. And you're right. I have been publicly saying for months, years, since I started broadcasting, to be honest with you is even if there is being substance, is being used uh, in, in a strategic fashion, I'm okay with it because I want guys to have command. I want to know the pitches are going to be in the zone. I want to recognize spin like Tuttle is talking about so I can anticipate break and my my brains can, my brain, my brains, I wish I had two brains. Yeah, uh, my brains. brain hey, can, we're both right yeah. here. You're two brains. Hey. <laughs> there we are. If we just put us together, we would have been a great ball player. Uh, but my brain, I want my brain to tell my hands what to do. And part of that is recognizing spin. And if that spin is there and the break is there, I have a better chance of anticipating break and getting to that pitch or laying off that pitch. And, you know, this week it was really interesting to hear some of these players come out and speak. Pete Alonzo for the New York Mets came out and said the exact same thing that I just said. He's one of the few players that I've heard come out and say that because like you said earlier, Josh Donaldson's a guy that's like, F that. These guys are cheating. It's hard as hell to be a hitter. These guys are throwing 100 miles an hour. Spin rates are are as great as they've ever been recorded in the history of the game. And that's where I kind of, you know, shift my focus a little bit and maybe pull back on what I said, because I don't have, I never had to face 100 plus consistently like these guys are. I never had to face ridiculous spin rates. You know, I talk about Daryl Kyle being one of the best curveballs I've ever faced, and I could legitimately hear the spin coming into the plate. 
So I can't imagine what these guys are hearing now and seeing now with the hundred plus cutters at, you know, 95, the sliders, you know, Garrett Cole throws a slider at 92 miles an hour. That seems just ridiculous to me. And uh, he's been linked to a couple of situations where he's been accused of, of been of using substances. Uh, there was a, a clubhouse manager, visiting clubhouse manager in Anaheim, Bubba, uh, if you want to look it up on uh, on the internet, he had been fired from his job for distributing a sticky substance to pitchers, and he has a countersuit against the Angels for uh, you know what uh, being uh, fired you know for no reason kind of thing, and he actually has documents. Yeah, no cause, yeah, yeah. No cause. His, in his countersuit, he names Verlander, he names Garrett Cole, he names some really big name pitchers out there. But I don't know if you saw Garrett Cole's interview where they asked him about it and he completely locked up and butchered that interview and looked yeah. guilty as sin, to be honest with you. But I think part of it is maybe he wasn't prepared for the question and there might be a little bit of a legal issue if he does say anything that can be used against him because he's named in a lawsuit. But uh, that was a kind of an interesting situation. And the thing I'll say about Garrett Cole that is freaking absolutely 100% hilarious to me is that in 2019, when and you know when Garrett Cole becomes a member of the Houston Astros and is pitching well, everybody said, "Oh, he's cheating." He is. A, he's now a New York Yankee, and everybody's saying, "Oh, he, everybody's doing it. He, he, it's fine." Yeah. You know, he's a hero now. Who cares? That that cracks me up. Well, that's the America's team thing, right? The Cowboys don't cheat because they there's just such a fan. The Yankees are like the same. Thank they you for saying have, it. They don't have facial hair. Right. Like they, we don't have facial hair. We don't cheat. They don't look like ball players or scrappy guys. But, <laughs> but, but I don't I don't know if it says I know you live in Houston. So I don't know if the disparity between now he's cheating or, you know, when he was with the Astros, he was cheating. And now he's not. Is that great? And from a national media perspective, he definitely locked up on the interview. And I don't think while he's a player, like part of the union, that he has the freedom to say what we're saying. But I do think he could have said this is an overblown issue. Um, you know, I don't know if you can get into, Hey, if I'm doctoring the ball and it's diving and doing things, but that's the optics thing that they say right now that just gets replayed and there's gotta be some context around it. He's obviously using a substance, but again, if he's using a substance and Verlander's using a substance and all the guys on the Cardinals are using a substance and so-and-so is using a substance and they're, you know, basing it on, I mean, again, don't put a glop of pine tar on your neck. <laughs> Like uh, Michael Pineda, speaking of the Yankees, speaking of the Yankees, right? Michael <laughs> Pineda, don't put it on your neck. But again, the, uh, the issue is trying to get a better grip on the ball and you've said it and other hitters should say it. I mean, Josh Donaldson came out and said it a little abruptly and maybe not the sharpest tool in the shed. He wants that ball to spin the way it's supposed to spin. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw this other little thing. It's a little sidebar, but Kevin Pillar was using the bat that he got hit in the face with. So where the pine tar spot is, there's just blood just on the blood. Bat. Did you see that? That is so cool. Yeah. So he basically that stood up there with the bat. But again, Pilar would be the first guy I would assume to come tell you. He knows he got yeah. lucky. And that was against a pitcher. Like, I mean, that just let one get away. And so the less, the <laughs> most hitters will tell you the less times the ball gets away from the pitcher, the better we're going to be. And I think that's really what the issue should be. This should not turn into a, you know, somebody, the Sports Illustrated compared it to the steroid era. It's just not the same oh, thing. Man. It's not the same thing. 
And we can get into the Brent Strom thing if we want blaming pitching coaches and hitting coaches for steroids. Oh, geez, stay away no, from we're that. Not, we're not going to get into yeah, that. Yeah, that, that came up on Twitter. And I I, I've, I've, I mean, I should apologize, but I, that just don't know. That's like that's like blaming a car manufacturer for a DUI. Give me a break. Yeah. You know, you, you freaking A. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing, too, in the last week or so, and is Trevor Bauer has been outspoken about the, the use of pine tar. And a couple of years ago, it felt like he asked Major League Baseball to crack down on it. Major League Baseball went, yeah, whatever, kid, just keep moving, move along. Nothing to yeah. see here kind of thing. And then it feels like, you know, Trevor Bauer started using it to kind of prove the point because he did it over the offseason. He experimented with it and said, yeah, it ramped up my spin rate, both on my fastball and my and my breaking balls. And then all of a sudden he wins the Cy, the Cy Young in 2020, 2021. He's off to an electric start, setting spin rate records all over the place. News comes out that Major League Baseball may be cracking down on this. And guess what? Spin rates have been down in the last couple of weeks. So, hmm, kind of interesting. Thoughts on that, Tuttle? No, but I mean, this is the analytics thing again versus your eyeball tests, right? What do you, I mean, what do you care? I know Daryl Kyle's ball used to hum, right? And it would just like drop off the table. I mean, I knew a guy that Big had time. a ball like that uh, in double uh, A. I mean, there was a guy who was a left-handed pitcher, just had a wicked curveball, 12 to 6. I mean, a few guys figured it out. They get their hand position right. But I mean, the spin rate is an analytical tool. It's not telling you. This is like the velocity thing again. The pitcher will tell you. We were talking about um, Urquidy that one day throwing. He doesn't throw 98. He throws 93 or 94. But you tell me that those Boston Red Sox hitters were seeing those balls come right down the middle. They weren't. So a spin rate, it doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, it really doesn't. Can I just Let me just explain what you're talking about as far as you know, you, you, the, the analytics are great. They're going to speak to some stuff, but your eye test tells you whether or not the guy's effective. If you get outs, you get outs. Move on. That's right. You don't, I don't need the numbers to back up the fact that you're a good pitcher. Yeah. And that Garrett Cole, who, I mean, he is. So again, I said this before, people want to use that argument. And my, my, my family tries to defend me as well. And you did not take steroids. I did not take steroids. All I try to say about Barry Bonds is, he felt ultra competitive and he wanted to do some things to make it. But Barry Bonds was, in my opinion, a Hall of Fame baseball player when he was born. I mean, he was going to make the Hall of Fame. He won three MVPs with the Pirates when he weighed 175, 180 pounds. Like the guy was a born to be a baseball player and he was an awesome baseball player before or after. I completely agree on this, by the way. Garrett Cole and Verlander are probably two of the best pitchers in, in Major League Baseball. So they were using a sticky substance. They were making a huge deal about Garrett Cole facing Josh Donaldson. Like, you know, you were talking about that tension, that conspiratorial, like, all right, we're going to create this tension. Garrett Cole can't use the substance and Donaldson, they're going to face each other. Well, guess what? He punched Donaldson out twice. I don't know if Garrett Cole's spin rate was down during those. Dude, he abused him. He abused him. And so <laughs> what? Right. Did, but tell me what his spin rate was while he abused him. Do you know or do you care? You don't. I don't. So we can talk about spin rates being down. And that actually makes sense. If you're using less of a substance or they're cracking down on it, this, the curveball will not have the spin rate. You know, woe is me. But as long as it's spinning the way it's supposed to spin, and these guys are still the best pitchers in the game, I mean, I, you know, again, I, I'm not trying to defend 
cheating. I'm just trying to defend what, you know, you can explain what it, though. we can all agree to. Yeah. Just tell me what the rules of the game are, right? If they had made steroids legal in baseball, then maybe you and I both would have taken them because at that time, yeah. that's what was allowed. I say the same thing with the substances. If you're a hitter, which you are, oh, by the way, you were saying our two brains together make a if we, if, if we got together, we could make one Shohei Otani. Oh my gosh. One like lesser Shohei go. Otani, right? Hitter pitcher. In case no. you're wondering what Tuttle and Blum would have been, we would have been a Shohei right. Otani. Hey, Shohei Otani, there you go. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just saying like you kind of fall in that hierarchy. And as long as the pitchers and hitters agree that this is what we accept, then then let's let's move on. There's nothing to see here. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, in the theme of we know exactly what's going on and how to talk about it and being at the forefront, I don't know if you caught this, but Liam, Liam Hendricks of the uh, Chicago White Sox, their closer came out and said, guess what, Tuttle? Major League Baseball should create a substance of their own and approve it for all pitchers. Guess who came up with that idea? Yeah. Not these guys. Yes, you did. I think it was you that came up with that. Oh no, maybe we both came up. That's right, because I said they should market it. Yeah, they bought Rawlings. They 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 keep the baseballs. Let's let's have a yes. And those guys rub up the baseballs with dirt. Let's come up with a substance that we can rub on the ball, and that everybody gets to use it, and everybody agrees that yeah, that's right. We did come up with that. I forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate Liam Hendricks uh, listening to the podcast if he is, because <laughs> we we absolutely one hundred percent recommended that Major League Baseball. They like Tuttle just said, man, they own the baseball own the sticky stuff, market it, sell it, put it out there, make some cash off it. Everybody's happy and that much better for it. I love the power lifter that invented the, whatever the hammer oil or whatever he did. And he got a call, like <laughs> they traced him all the way to the CEO. There was a funny article and it was like, he's like, what, what, what's going on? Baseball players are using, no, I didn't make it. Like he had no, he was so in the dark, but that's the guy that we need to call and say, Hey, we'd like to buy your company. Yep. And then we go to major league baseball and we're the invest. We're the single supplier. We're the single, uh, the single entity, the vendor that they go yeah. to, to buy their sticky substance. But you know, who, who needs we, crypto, man, we're getting sticky stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what we need. We don't want cryptocurrency. Maybe we could pay cryptocurrency for our share in the company. There you go. And now a word from our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And we're back. So the uh, the topic, the next topic, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll kind of lead you into this one is uh, because ESPN had an article last week after we recorded our podcast that uh, uh, the Scourgeon and A Rod are going to be out on the road again. They're going to be back out there, and I don't know if ESPN. Oh the leader yay! In, I don't know if ESPN's the leader in the uh, clubhouse in terms of like following suit and what the COVID protocols are. But I know you and I have discussed a few times about your current 
role and doing the uh, road games from the studio and how uh, you got to move your car <laughs> during during three hour spot and I got to go move my and you know and sometimes <laughs> on the West Coast games it gets to be really late night and you guys are the only ones in the studio but what what's the uh, kind of what's the word on the street about uh, broadcast teams traveling and are you guys going to follow suit or is this just going to be a, you know, something for next year? Yeah, there, there's some interesting thoughts on this and there, obviously there's a lot of uh, rumor and conjecture going on inside the industry itself, but I was grateful that the article came out, uh, you know, both in ESPN and both, I think there was one in the athletic also where they talked to a couple of Chicago, uh, both White Sox and uh, Cub announcers. Boog Shambi is, a, is the play-by-play for the uh, marquee network, which does the Cubs. He has actually been very vocal, I guess, to their company about, you know, getting back on the road, which I greatly appreciate. And maybe I should be a little more vocal about it. I've tried to be as as tactful as I could, but, you know, calling games from the studio just doesn't have that same feel. With that being said, the article stated that Major League Baseball came out with a memorandum that basically said that if your team is at 85% vaccinated, it is up to the team and the network to make the decision on when and how to travel their broadcasters on the road. That being said, I know the Astros are at that 85% threshold. Uh, Another caveat to that idea is that the broadcasters have to be vaccinated. I believe all the broadcasters, both on the TV and radio side, have been vaccinated for the Astros. So we qualify. Now what? And I think the now what is what frightens everybody because now you have the, the organization talking about it, which involves front office and players coaching staffs, training staffs, and then you have the 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 broadcast side of it with AT&T Sportsnet. How is that discussion going to work? Because on the TV side, you have production crew that needs to travel. And I don't know if they're going to allow that or if the production crew is going to stay back and then they just travel the talent. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on, but it is point, point no, quote unquote, uh, but things are pointing in the direction of of letting us travel. And I know for a fact this next homestand when the Astros are at home playing the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers, those two teams travel their radio crews on the road trip. So I'm curious to see how it's going for them and how our team will react to seeing other teams travel. You know, I think it's I think it's in the future, but being a baseball player and being the eternal pessimist in this situation, like I always am. I'm not convinced that before the all-star break, I'll be on a plane traveling. Yeah. I didn't know you were a pessimist about that. I didn't. And I, you know, I, my real, my day job is the healthcare industry. And I, I saw an article about the 147 workers at a Houston hospital that won't get vaccinated. And the CEO is not letting them work. And his argument isn't whether they should or shouldn't be vaccinated. He believes that they're taking a political stand, which is different. So I don't need to get in. I mean, you can read the Houston Chronicle if you need to find out about that article. I just saw something about the healthcare workers and he felt like it was this. But Hawaii, for example, we're going to go to Hawaii at the end of the summer. And I think they're at 54% vaccinated in the on the islands. If they get to 70%, then they're going to stop testing people. That's their threshold for like herd immunity. They, they feel like they'll be safe if 70 to 75% of their population is vaccinated and or, you know, able to kind of function, then they're going to feel safe. So I think like you said, that 85% threshold sounds above and beyond. And you guys are all vaccinated anyway. So I think I mean, it makes sense that they will do it. Um, you say optimist, pessimist. I say, I mean, it sounds like you do believe, though, that before the end of the year, you're probably traveling. I didn't know if the all-star break is like the 
the line of demarcation. But yeah, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, even in California, June 15th, you won't have to wear a mask, it looks like. Um, my wife went to Trader Joe's yesterday and she said, what's your policy here in California? Because they were a national company. They're like, no, you guys don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. And my, she's like, you know, mask off. So it really, you know, things are definitely changing, but I'm just saying that Viscurgeon and A-Rod and as you said, some of the other radio teams, the pirates like that, I mean, it's inevitable that you're going to get on the road. Now, it almost seems like more of a logistical question, right? No, you're right about the logistical situation. It's the personnel that's traveling. But how about this for a thought? It's not that you just get on a plane because here in Texas, we're pretty much wide open. It's we will be yeah. traveling to California. We will be traveling to Washington, uh, you know, uh, some other yeah. cities, you know, Chicago and things like that. So you you fall Correct. victim of not victim, but you fall under the circumstances of the local market you're traveling to, too, and what that organization is doing. So I think that's that plays into, right. you know, where do you travel? When can you travel? Is it going to be opened up on the other end? If we do get on the plane, will they let us in the stadium and let us call games? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because you guys, I mean, you have your, you know, conceal and carry in Texas, like you can't bring your gun to California. So no, I'm kidding. Yeah, that's not recommended. If the Texas rules applied in California, we would just have a whole different, but no, that's, that's a, that's a, it would just be the wild west. Yeah, that's right. Now it's more, it's a more than valid point, which is this isn't a one way, this isn't a one way decision. This is like, all right, we're all traveling. Yeah. And then California is like, whoa, wait a second. We don't have our guys in the booth. You can't come in the booth. So yeah, there's, there's some other variables to consider, some other factors, but I do think, you know, it sounds like, although you're not optimistic before the all-star break, it does sound like, you know, yeah. this year you'll probably be on the road. Yeah. I'm hoping that after all-star break, there'll be a lot of fun because my worst case scenario for us that we've been talking about is that the Astros clinch a playoff spot on the road and we're sitting in the studio going, yay, isn't this great? And then you're waiting for like champagne celebration interviews and you're like, Hey dude, I know you're partying over there. Can you come talk to us about it? You know, that would be the most awkward situation ever. I got a question for you, Tuttle, because you, you watch a lot of sports, you watch a lot of baseball. How, how important do you think it is to the fan to have a broadcaster on site? Yeah. I mean, I only have some insight because you and I have discussed this either on the podcast or off about how your enthusiasm and your focus on the game. I, I will say I did watch some ESPN games from the studio. I mean, the ones lately with, um, it's not Buster only the other guy, uh, Tim Kirkjian, Tim Kirkjian is like, he's at his house in his office. Yeah. It is definitely disjointed. It's de disjointed. I wouldn't say that much for you and TK. I mean, this kind of to me, this blurs into what we said always about having the home broadcast teams available for the playoffs, which I would like, right? Because you guys have the mm -hmm. insight, you have the 162 game kind of um, build up to that point in the playoffs. And you guys have the inside knowledge. This year, it's a little bit different because of your, you know, you're not able to get in the clubhouse and some of the access is different. But I always think that the feel of the game, the energy of the game, and I know for you personally, like being in the studio, it's harder but I don't know as a listener or as a fan, I think you guys have been doing a good job and some do. And, you know, it kind of, it adds another dimension for sure. I think I've consistently talked about how exciting playoff hockey is because I don't watch hockey typically. Uh, playoff basketball, I'm watching a little more basketball than I watch in the regular season. I think it's imperative that the broadcast teams be on site in the playoffs. I think, you know, yeah. for a day game in the middle of July on a Thursday in Washington, probably not. It's not. Oh, my God. Yeah, they got to be in, you know, on site because then you get the feel and the, you know, um, but very similar to having the fans back. Right. I mean, having 10,000 fans in Yankee Stadium was different than having 20 or 40,000 fans. 
And when 40 or 50 get in there, the players will tell you it changes the environment. So I would say the same for the broadcast team. But, you know, as a listener, I think for me personally, it would just be more important during the playoffs. It's not imperative right at this moment. I love it. That's why we ask the questions and that's why we're on this podcast together because I want to be there just because I feel the environment would be better and calling those games would, would be a lot more accurate and current. Uh, but I love the fact that uh, you you stated it the way you did because there is a definite uh, difference in importance between those regular season games and the postseason games. Yeah, and I know personally you would rather be there. I mean, I think it's funny when we get into the logistics and we don't have to bring too many personal items into the podcast, even though we talk about being fathers of multiples. I mean, I remember playing with a guy, he can remain nameless, but he played 18 years of professional baseball. Um, He managed in the big leagues. I don't know if he's still a coach, but he retired. He went from, you know, the big leagues. He came down to AAA to kind of see if he was going to do it anymore. And he retired for a year and he drove his family crazy. (laughs) And so his wife's like, you got to get back out of the house. And so it's funny, you know, even after a 20 or 30 year marriage, it was like whatever the boundaries they established. But I think it's kind of funny. I mean, you're in a house full of uh, like five women. Uh, It gets, you know, like, you know, I mean, I'm not speaking personally for you and anything you've told me about your family. I'm just saying like, you know, you and your wife establish these boundaries and it's like you're home all the time. You're like, I just need to get out on the road to call the games and do my job. So I don't know. There's other there's other variables at work. Let's put it that way. Right. Oh yeah. No, there are. And it does become part of the routine and everybody's had to adjust over the last year and a half, but there have been guarantee you now might be actually one of them where my wife was wishing I was on the road and out of the way. But uh, you know, that's every, everybody's individual in that situation. I have one other thing that came up this week and maybe cause we know the two gentlemen that I thought it'd be interesting to hear your take on um, the Yankees had a little uh, scuttlebutt with one of the umpires and uh, Phil Nevin Uh, came out and he had been sick, right? He had had COVID and he had some other issues, but now he's back with the team. And um, I think, I don't know, was I listening to a national sports talk or was it very Yankee specific? It might've been on MLB.com. Basically uh, the, they thought that Aaron Boone should have come out and defended his player instead of making Phil do it. And I was just wondering if you saw that incident or if, and if you didn't see it, it's fine. What what is the kind of the protocol or the etiquette when you feel like, you know, your player has been wrong and who's going to defend it? I actually feel like you don't know what goes on in this house. And maybe Aaron specifically wanted Phil to go out and get tossed. Uh, Phil was coaching third base, so he was on the field versus coming out of the dugout to get tossed. Um, but they were criticizing him a little bit. And we know the New York market and the New York media and it gets hyped <laughs> up. They were criticizing Aaron for maybe not having his players back and making, you know, one of his soldiers go do that. But we also know that those guys are fairly close and, you know, there could be other dynamics. But what give me, first of all, like, what's the etiquette with that? Right. If you feel like you need to go defend your player and then what, you know, what can you kind of surmise from what I gave you there? Uh, well, I've got a personal relationship with both Phil Nevin and, yeah. and Aaron Boone. So I, I like them both, you know, equally. Yeah. I know I've been friends with Phil Nevin longer, but I like you know, Aaron I know way f- better. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know that I know them both as well. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say now I'm picking sides, but I mean, F- Phil, Phil's a hyper competitive guy. And I mean, sometimes it can be, you know, misconstrued to him being just angry or, a, you know, a jerk or whatever, but I just know him personally. And I know he's just a hyper competitive guy and it may not come out. <laughs> 
<laughs> in the best manner. But at the same time, I know that he wants to win so bad that he's going to light people up. Uh, he's going to rub people the wrong way. And in those situations, I mean, we've all seen it in the past where a coach will get angry at an umpire and the manager will come out and get in between them and kind of take that leadership role. And maybe that's where the question comes in a little bit. But is the game evolving? Are, are staffs different in that sense where Phil's on the field, Phil has a firsthand account of what's going on, and he established the, you know, he established the relationship at that moment to have the argument and maybe Aaron let him go with it. Or it might be in a key situation in the game where Aaron decided, you know what, I'm going to be better served for this team staying in the game as opposed to having Phil say his piece, uh, represent the team, get ejected, whatever it is that happens next and have him replaced instead of having to replace Aaron Boone. I don't know. But, uh, you know, just in history, it's it's usually the manager that wants to be the the showpiece and be the one that's out there arguing and uh, and having that kind of fun. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, but I agree. I think New York maybe read into it a little bit more. But I don't think there's anything tactically wrong or an issue between those two. Yeah. No, no. I totally agree with you. I just wanted, I didn't see the whole incident. I overheard it, but I think that you just, pers- you know, this is what you always say. This is why I asked the question. I wanted to get your perspective. And I think it's fantastic. I, we, I have a personal relationship with both Aaron and Phil. We both are California kids, right? I mean, you and I, and we grew up playing, mm-hmm. you know, baseball with those guys, against those guys yeah, we did. Um, yeah. all the way up. And uh, I mean, I remember playing with Phil on an area code, like all-star team. And yeah, I mean, he was a year younger or two years younger than I am, but man, what a fantastic fantastic baseball player that guy was. And, and he is yeah. he's hyper competitive. And as you said, those guys know each other, which is different, right? If you and I ever coach together, like, you know, we yeah. have a history, well, but we don't and have Phil's, that history. Those Phil guys like knows grew that up. He's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Phil's not going to step on the toes of Aaron. If Aaron said, Hey, back it down, I guarantee you Phil's going to be like, okay, yeah, you know, and move on. There's no animosity between them. I mean, there's, yeah. there's an understanding yeah. and a respect like you and I would have, like you're talking about. Correct. And my take on it, honestly, was, you know, knowing Phil the way I do, and you already brought up in a positive manner, the hyper competitiveness there, it might've been an incident where he felt the same way the player did. And he got in there before anything, like before anybody knew it was happening. Like, (laughs) wait a second, that is wrong. Like, boom. And he's in there like he was a player. And by the time it's all, you know, the dust settles like, oops, he, you know, he got in there just knowing him, right. If he thought it was agreed. Oh yeah. (laughs) No. And and that's the thing too, is you got to remember Phil as a coach is going to defend the player as as equally as Aaron Boone is. Correct. So anyway, that was just a little side note. So, But I know you've got more to say. Tell you always do. That's why we have you on this podcast. And this is usually a segment we both enjoy, and it's what'll Tuttle say. What'll Tuttle say? Here it is. A uh, simple one. It's not complaining about, you know, grocery carts <laughs> or parking, uh, parking. Now, you know, employees taking the parking spots right next to the front door. So today I just, I, again, a topic I overheard this week, the lions came out with their new logo. <laughs> uh, I think they're going to do some adjusting, but it was a lion jumping right through the big L on their hat. I remember, and I think I told you this. Yeah. I told you this prior to recording. I remember when Super Bowl 50, right? We just had Super Bowl 52. So two or three years ago when Super Bowl 50 was there, it was, you know, the Roman numerals is big L and, um, and the super, you know, the PR department and all the powers that be with the, you know, NFL decided, look, they didn't want to have a big L like as the symbol for their Super Bowl. So they're like, Hey, weird, right? Yeah. Weird. So we're just going to use 50, but man, when you're in this marketing meeting with 25 to 30, like lions employees, like, all right, we're the Detroit lions. We got a new quarterback. It's Jared Goff. We've got, you know, a lot, we got this momentum, <laughs> like, 
that that actually got released. Like, all right, this is going to be the logo we're going with. We're having the giants, the, the giants, the lions jump through a big L. Like just wearing that on your hat. I mean, the the lions have one of the longest losing histories in sports. Like <laughs> you cannot associate an L with your, with your uh, like marketing. So, I mean, whether they fire the marketing team or whether it was an intern that came up with it, I just, it was really funny. Uh, and it's that old, like, you can't believe it. You could, I did not believe it until I saw it. Did you see that story for one? And they need to change that logo. ASAP, oh, give them a few letters. Dude, I am 100% with you because it, it I, when I first saw it, of course you see it on social media or an article and you're going, okay, somebody's messing with somebody. This is like, you know, a dig. So, you know, somebody from their rival team, you know, one of their rival teams is taking a dig at him. You know, I, I expected to see like a green the, Bay Packers burner account. You that's what like, I was just right. going to say. I go, that's gotta thing. be a green Bay Packer fan that just fired that out there to piss everybody off. And I was dying laughing and I'm going, Oh my gosh, is this really happening? And then you dig in a little bit and you, and you find out that it actually is, that was a legitimate, Detroit Lion idea and yeah. you're right well, number one how, how does it get past two people because the first guy that has the idea is just like oh check it out the L the second guy's got to be like nah, I don't know but it got past two people and ended up on a on on a graphic that ended up being released and I how does that happen yeah there's got to be some serious uh talk within the organization going yeah you know what that L idea is not good uh nobody wants to have that on their forehead I think you know that smash mouth song comes to mind you know that finger fingers on her forehead in the shape of an L came to mind yeah you Uh, you know go ahead and it'll delete that from the playlist and delete that logo from your computer because nobody ever wants to see that again that was awful yeah, you know, I've been in plenty of meetings and there really are, and this is, you know, the old no dumb questions thing, right? There really are no bad ideas in a brainstorming session. I mean, you really need to get all the stuff out there and you've done that before, right? Let's whiteboard it all yeah, please. Let's get it up here. Yes. As you said, one person, two people, three people. And I, I did. I thought it was a burner account or I thought it was a joke, like the jokes on us. We rail against this on this podcast because I think that's the topic we've been talking about. The sticky substances is the court of public opinion, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the court of public opinion is not always the best place, especially Twitter to find out if you had a good idea or what you said was well received. Oh, dear. I actually think for this, the court of public opinion is definitely, <laughs> is definitely they, they have spoken and the gavel has been slammed. And this is something that the Lions, I think, are going to crumple up and now throw back into the uh, the fire or the wastebasket. But uh, it was just funny. I mean, I, I had to lay it out there. Not all the you know, Bleacher Bums fans may have seen that, but if you want to Google it or find out. You know what sucks is that is out there forever. Yeah. That, that will show up every time the Lions lose a game. I want to go get a screen grab and then be like, all right, that's what people are going to post. But yeah, the, the Lion jumping through the L. Like, yeah, this is our symbol. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, just uh, just a really bad idea that uh, that kind of made it through the filter. But this in let me just say, in this one instance, the court of public opinion is correct. It is not. It should not be used, and it should go back in the uh, back into the vault, right where Indiana Jones, where the uh, yes, where the the ark, the the ark of the covenant. Yeah, put it, is. put it, got to go right back next there, to there collect some dust. There you go. All right, so uh, we'll finish up the podcast with Blum's blast. I know you got something. So Blummer, what do you got? Yeah, real quick. I'm going to make this as quick as I possibly can because 
I am over the celebrity boxing matches. I don't know what's going on or what's happening or how we got here. I know that MMA has kind of taken over and UFC have kind of taken over the, the, the trash talking and the, the gladiator fight arena has, has taken that thunder from boxing and boxing. I don't know what boxing has gone so sideways with the celebrity boxing that I can't stand it. You've got a YouTuber fighting a legitimate boxer. People are paying their money. Stop paying these guys and they'll stop doing things like this and we'll get back to boxing because I, as a kid, I loved the stories of Muhammad Ali. I loved hearing about the, you know, the rumble in the jungle and all of these things, all the theatrics, all the trash talking, all the promotion, everything that went into these boxing matches. And then more often than not, the match lived up to the hype. And I miss that. And I don't see how this is good for the sport, having a YouTube star box against a box and then the thing uh, it, it was ugly it was gross I didn't enjoy it I don't like the hype behind it I want to go back to the days of Muhammad Ali Sugar Ray Leonard you know Mike Tyson Roberto Duran a lot of these guys that I enjoyed watching and seeing the hype and watching those fights and true true athletes going out there and showing a, a legit art form in hand-to-hand -hand combat I miss those days I'm over the celebrity boxing and that is my blast just because I have a microphone in front of me. Hey, what I'll tell you about that is I don't even watch him. Uh, I did hear somebody compliment Mayweather to make uh, as much money as he's making now after boxing. And I applaud that. Yeah, I mean, oh, Take yeah. Take the money and run. Yeah, but man, he, I mean, he is fantastic in terms of a boxer and technique. But I feel like, you know, he just, I mean, he worked a guy who was 30 to 40 pounds heavier. I mean, that's pretty impressive. But but to your point, like it's not a real sport. And I personally, I'm not, I, I, I equate it to like the WWE and I know the rock and, you know, Hulk Hogan and all those guys. I mean, mm -hmm. I loved Andre the giant back in the day. And you had like, <laughs> I mean, you know, you had all those guys, the ultimate warrior, Jimmy, the super fly snooker. Like, I mean, I can name all those Junkyard doll. Yeah, there you go. But that my buddy was way into that. I have never been into that. And I feel like you can, you know, you can put some equivalency there, which is, it's just show. Like I would never do. Is that the equivalency deal. you want? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that what you're going for? Like, it's fine. Mayweather made so much money off that. And it's like, it's not mm -hmm. an event I want to watch. And back to what you said, we're from the same generation air quotes. Um, you know, Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns and Sugar Ray Leonard. And yes, you know, Muhammad yes. Ali was kind of just before our time, but Joe Frazier. And I mean, th those were like, I remember the buildup for those fights. And then when Mike Tyson became, I always tell this hey, story. Vander Holyfield. And, yeah. yeah. But my buddy's dad was way into boxing and uh, he bought the Mike Tyson fight. And he's like, hey, we can go. I was in high school. And he's like, come over. We're going to watch the Mike Tyson fight. That was a big deal. And he went, um, he went into the bathroom and he came out and the fight was over. It was like that 78 <laughs> second fight. He was like, all right, it's going to start. You know, he did the undercard and Mike Tyson, he's like, no way you knocked the guy. I mean, 78 seconds or whatever, like at <laughs> the buildup, right? You got all the food out, yeah. you got everything out and it was like done fights over. But that was like you said, it was, uh, to me, it just felt real and it was a real sporting event and these do not. So I, I guess I wholeheartedly agree, but I wish I had more of an opinion. I just don't even watch it. I didn't even, I didn't even turn it on. So. The only reason I knew about it was because of social media. And that's what I feel like it's turned into is this social media, you know, yeah. 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. And it just drove me nuts. All right. Well, Blummer uh, is always another good, uh, another good episode under our belt. We are uh, thrilled. I don't know if we mentioned at the outset so much to be a part of the blue wire podcast network, please check us out at bleacherblums.com, bleacherblums.com. And on the blue wire podcast network, we're going to hopefully, um, 
as I said, expand some of the things that we're doing here, maybe some interviews and kind of network. And, you know, we're just getting started on that platform, but you can review, rate, subscribe, do all those things on the Spotify and Apple and wherever you uh, decide to listen to your podcast, but please do that. Um, our ratings are high, but you know, I think our ratings and reviews could, uh, could increase if, uh, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, please go forward and uh, do that. And, um, and we always like to thank our, uh, our military servicemen, our frontline workers, our healthcare workers. I did just mention the Houston uh, hospital folks that aren't getting vaccinated. So maybe that sounded like a dig, but we really do appreciate all the hard work that you guys are putting forth and um, keeping us safe. And uh, as we get to that vaccination threshold, or we get to the, some of this herd immunity, um, even here in California, June 15th seems to be a hard date for um, no mask wearing. But anyway, so we want to, um, again, always a shout out to everybody that's putting their lives on the line and doing things that, that many people aren't willing to do so that we can do our podcast and hang out. So Blummer, what say you, my friend? We always end this podcast with your favorite saying. Get after it and believe it. 